couple weeks ago was Reformation Sunday, uh, a time when we in Presbyterian traditions uh, tend to remember uh, Martin Luther doing his thing, uh, the Reformation getting started. Um, It's celebrated at the end of October every year. Um, So it's somewhat fitting that I share this with you from F.F. Bruce's commentary on Romans to begin our message today. F.F. Bruce says this, In November 1515, Martin Luther, Augustinian monk and professor of sacred theology at the University of Wittenberg, began to expound Paul's epistle to the Romans to his students and continued this course until the following September. As he prepared his lectures, he came more and more to appreciate the centrality of the Pauline doctrine of justification by faith. I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, he wrote, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. The consequences of this new insight which Martin Luther gained from the study of Romans are writ large in history. What were the consequences of this man's reading of Romans and coming to terms with the meaning of the righteousness of God? Thunder. Nothing less than the major historical movement called the Reformation. Luther posted for debate his 95 Theses, October 31st, 1517. On April 18th, 1521, when the 21-year-old Emperor Charles V summoned him to the Diet of Worms, it reads for us Diet of Worms, to renounce his views, Martin Luther stated, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Clearly, something significant had struck this man, Martin Luther, and the thunder of his life changed the world. When we hear the thunder, we are drawn to consider the lightning. When I hear that booming crackle, I go to the window. I look up in the sky. I watch for the next bolt from the sky. You see, the lightning's the thing. Whoever says, dying in a plane crash? You have a better chance of being struck by the sound of thunder. Nah. People all over Washoe Valley hear thunder every year and their lives continue pretty much the same. One man in Sparks, I read in the newspapers a few years ago, was actually struck by lightning. 
Yeah, I know. It's, it's an unfortunate, <laughs> goofy thing. It was sparks, and he was hit by lightning, but it, that was the story. Um, yeah. He lived, but his life was changed dramatically. At last report, he was still struggling with the debilitating physical consequences of this event. Figuratively, people thunder about many things. People raise their voices and put pen to paper or fingers to keyboards and make noise about many things. But here too, the lightning's the thing. In a culture that seems to major in manufacturing thunder with or without lightning, special effects, big events, much ado about nothing, This is important to keep in mind. Listen to all the thundering around us, through the media, over the airwaves, in the papers, from the podiums and pulpits. But keep asking, where's the thunder? And where's the lightning? When we hear the thunder, we are drawn to consider the lightning. What is F.F. Bruce thundering about in his Romans commentary? What was Martin Luther thundering about in his writings and his actions? What was the thunder of the Reformation pointing to? What is Pastor Jay thundering about these days? And what was Paul thundering about in his amazing letter to the Christians of first century Rome? Lightning. What lightning? Listen. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. Hear the word of God. But now, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Lord God, it is my prayer for each and every one of us here today that we would be struck by the lightning. The life-changing reality of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ and what it means. Lord, I pray that your word would come through for us today as clearly 
as a lightning bolt out of the sky. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is Paul's thunder, but the lightning's the thing. The lightning happens literally between Romans 3.20 and Romans 3.21. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Kaboom! Verse 21. But now... A righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. When we hear the thunder, we are drawn to consider the lightning. But now, two of the most important words anywhere in the Bible. Mankind was headed for destruction. But now... The law, every good rule ever invented, up to and including the Ten Commandments, made us aware of why we were going to die eternally and why we deserved this destiny. And through our repeated failures, we could see that there was nothing we could do to change this terrible outcome. Like a plane load of pilots notified that their collective decision to fly into the thunderstorm had resulted in being struck by lightning, losing their engines, and now heading into an irreversible nosedive. This doesn't make for a good ride or a happy arrival. But now... Something unexpected from outside the plane. A different sort of bolt out of the sky. One that will save rather than destroy. But now, something has been made known. Whatever it is, it isn't just a future possibility. It has already happened. And it has already been revealed. All this thunder from Paul is the direct result of the lightning that has struck him and many others. Our plane will weather the storm. We will land safely. Why? Because we've been struck by an entirely different and more powerful sort of lightning. What is the lightning? It is righteousness from God apart from law. Here's what another modern commentator, C.E.B. Cranfield, says about this passage. This short section is the center and heart of the whole of Romans. It shows that the heart of the gospel preached by Paul is a series of events in the past, not just the crucifixion of Christ, for the cross by itself would have been no saving act of God, but the crucifixion together with the resurrection and exaltation of the crucified. A series of events which is the event of history, an act which as the decisive act of God is altogether effective and irreversible. It attests the fact that what we have to do with in the gift of righteousness with which Romans is concerned is nothing less than God's costly forgiveness, which 
is altogether worthy of the righteous, loving, faithful God who does not insult or mock his creature man by pretending that his sin does not matter, but rather himself bears the full cost of forgiving it righteously, lovingly. When we hear the thunder, we are drawn to consider the lightning. Here's what Paul's thundering gospel tells us about the lightning of God's righteousness. And I'm going to put it under three headings, and you can find this in your sermon outline if you want. The storm, the strength, and the strike. The storm. As the lightning strikes, what is going on? Well, God has a plan to realize reliably. A plan to realize reliably. A promise to retain. What God is going to do is consistent with what he has always been doing. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Paul's talking about the prophets of old. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about God's dealings with his people throughout history. More on this next week, going all the way back to the beginning of redemption history and Abraham. When we hear the thunder, we are drawn to consider the lightning. And then God has a problem to resolve reasonably. A problem to resolve reasonably. It's a problem of sin. On the human side, the question is this. How can we stand in God's presence? God who is holy, holy, holy. God who has zero tolerance for sin. Clothed in sin, we'd be burned up in his holiness. We'd be running for cover. We'd be screaming to get away. We'd be falling on our faces that we would have to. In fact, on those rare occasions when we see God show up in more than a normal sort of way, not just God seen in nature or in the love that people share, but actually God himself kind of showing up, generally that's how people respond. Falling down and saying, I'm dead. I don't belong here. And then there's the divine side of this problem. How can God allow us to be with him without ceasing to be God? Without compromising with evil or changing his good and perfect standards of justice and goodness. If God is perfectly holy, how can he have fellowship with me? How can he be united with me who is, well, God's holy, holy, holy. I am not, not, not. How can he be united with me and still be God? How can he do this without becoming a God made in the image of man, changing with the winds of expediency, offering a word that might change tomorrow, saying he really doesn't care about how we have exploited and spoiled his creation, killed his image-bearing people, and perverted his good pattern for human life? It's all okay. It's all good. 
the answer? Well, beginning in verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Lightning. The righteousness of God. God remains just. He maintains his hatred of sin and his stand against evil. God is the one who justifies. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, he punishes sin by punishing himself. Thus what God does is apart from the law, but it is not against the law. It is not inconsistent with what God has said about how we are to live and what is good and right and true. Then God has a person to renew radically. A person to renew radically. And that person is you. And that person is me. See, instructions for renewal have never worked. Some would call these religions. Commandments for maintaining health and wholeness have never prevented our free and foolish choices toward brokenness and death. Lawbreakers that we are. Promises of reward have never kept our kind from turning away from God and putting something or someone else at the center of life, which is the essence of sin. What can he do to revive the likes of us, sinners in the midst of our man-made storm? The strength. What is the lightning? When we hear the thunder, we are drawn to consider the lightning. The lightning is God's righteousness. And the lightning has a name. Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. This is not a new idea. If you turn back to the prophet Jeremiah, active some 600 years before Jesus showed up, in Jeremiah 23, 6, he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about this branch of David that will come to kind of put things right or to be the shepherd that that. God's people are supposed to have this branch of David. But in this prophecy, he gives this Messiah figure of the future a name. He will be called the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. This is 600 years before Jesus showed up. This notion that righteousness has a name wasn't brand new. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, Paul says here, and this atonement word is loaded. It's related to the word for mercy seat in the Old Testament. This is the atonement cover, which was the top of the Ark of the Covenant that was at the center of God's temple. It 
it came between the tablets of the law and the people who would come to the temple making their sacrifices. This was the place in the Holy of Holies where the sacrificial blood was sprinkled once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This is also called the propitiatory. It's also related to another word, perhaps, uh, the, relate, uh, the word expiation, which means covering. But most commentators will tell you that it really means more than just covering. Jesus is more than just somebody who covers over our sin so God can't see it. But rather is our propitiation. Propitiation is a fancy word that means payment in satisfaction of wrath. Somebody needs to be paid. And what is paid instead of me could be called my propitiation or the propitiation for me. This is not like ritual sacrifices of old or born of superstitious hope for favor from a God mostly like us subject to flattery and bribery. This is the once and for all sacrifice for human sin. This is to the God who is absolutely good and true and great and powerful. And so the God who will not change his character and cannot be deceived. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. It works because of who Jesus is. God himself, the eternal son of the heavenly father, fully God and also fully human. It works because of what Jesus chose to do, give his perfect life in payment for ours. At once taking seriously our dignity and responsibility for our sin and satisfying, indeed honoring, the justice and goodness and faithfulness and truthfulness, the righteousness of God. For me, the most moving scene of all in that film, The Passion of the Christ, telling the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is when Jesus falls again while carrying his cross, this time as his mother watches from nearby. She remembers him falling as a child, and we see her memory on the screen, this little boy who falls down and she runs out to him, Yeshua, Yeshua, comforts him. And now she runs over to her little boy again, as he is now bearing the weight of humanity's constant sin and current cruelty. She falls before his bloody face and cries, I am here. And he responds to her, barely able to speak. See, mother, I am making all things New. What should God do to those sadistic Roman guards and selfish religious leaders and apathetic crowd members? He is doing it right before their eyes. To Himself. 
God and his son, Mary's boy, is forever and is now perfectly righteous and absolutely just and is now the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The strike. What does the lightning hit and what does it do? Well, it strikes all who believe. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jews and Gentiles, another way of saying that is everybody. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Circumcised and uncircumcised is just another way of saying Jews and Gentiles. It is no longer about what color you are or what your family name is or what country you call home or what religious system you've grown up in. The lightning is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Not what you or I have done for ourselves, for anyone else, or for God. It is his righteousness imputed to those who are willing and able to believe. When we hear the thunder, we are drawn to consider the lightning. Do you believe this good news, this gospel? As a result... Those who believe, all who believe, are justified. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Martin Luther again. They must be justified without merit through faith in Christ, by faith alone, without any works. And this notion of justification Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. And sola dei gloria, to God's glory alone, has repeatedly reformed the church and the people of God through the centuries. Justified is a courtroom sort of word, and it means God's powerful cosmic and universal action in effecting a change in the situation between sinful humanity and God by which God is able to acquit and vindicate believers, setting them in a right and faithful relation to himself. That's from the dictionary of Paul and his letters. More simply put, God has put us into a right relationship with himself through Jesus Christ, God the Son. And right relationship is the essential meaning of the word righteousness. Lightning. All of this, Paul concludes in this section, gives us no reason to shift the focus to ourselves in any way. Hear the thunder. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. Our tendency to make ourselves the issue rather than Jesus is deep and pervasive. 
Daryl Johnson says this, either we really believe that he welcomes us freely or we will rely on something else to justify us. I'd also point you to the quote that I put in your bulletin uh, from uh, Richard Loveless in his uh, book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I'd encourage you to take a look at it sometime on your own if you haven't done so already. This justification because of Jesus through faith apart from the law does not work by undoing the law. Quite the contrary, because of Jesus, the law is upheld as we have seen. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. It's not about us breaking the rules or keeping the rules. Not even the rule about boasting. It's not because of the no boasting rule that we don't boast. It's because of God's righteousness. Lightning. And our faith. Our focus is on him. The grace is his. Our faith is in him. The glory is his. When we hear the thunder we are drawn to consider the lightning. So let me close with two questions. First question. Have you been struck by the lightning? And let me just say, if you haven't or if you're not sure that you've been struck by the lightning of the good news of Jesus Christ, and that that good news is yours, if, you're, if you haven't or if you're not sure, come and talk to me anytime. You call me up and say, I want to talk about lightning and I will clear my schedule and we will talk. And I imagine I speak for a lot of other people in this room today. You tell them, I want to talk about how I can know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And they will take a day off of work. Have you been struck by the lightning? Do you take your stand upon Luther's platform? You are accepted. There is nothing you have done or could do to make this happen. By grace alone, God has shared his righteousness through the completed work of Jesus Christ with you. Through faith alone, you have accepted the gift and been justified. In God's eyes, you are perfectly acceptable to him. You may stand in his presence and you will belong there. God will embrace you forever and you will bring no more discredit to his name there right next to him than his own perfect sinless son would do. You have been radically renewed, made fit for heaven, which is now your irreversible destiny. And if you're thinking to yourself, that's impossible. It would take an absolute miracle for that to be true of me. Hallelujah. The miracle is done. And nothing is impossible for God. So first question, have you been struck by the lightning? 
And here's my second question. Where's your thunder? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that blesses us, that equips us, that challenges us, that comforts us, that tells us the truth as we continue to live our lives in the middle of lies and deceptions and manipulations. It's, it's a way of life. It's a culture. It's hard to know what's true and it's hard not to just give up on truth. But just to enter into the competition to make our lie sound more attractive or plausible than somebody else's. Lord, in the midst of this, we affirm today that you speak truth. It's the still small voice that never goes away. Thank you. Lord, I pray that you have spoken the truth of your good news to us here today. We are blessed. We are safe. We have an amazing destiny that is made sure for us by your completed work. We're not people desperately hoping that we can get you to do something for us in the future that might change things. Lord, you've already done it. Help us to trust in you. Lord, I pray that that lightning has struck us here again today and that we might then offer the thunder. We can't make the lightning, but we can thunder a little bit and encourage others to consider the lightning. Help us to do that. Help us to do that in a way that honors other people, that loves other people, and that honors and trusts in you. It's just kind of part of who we are. We got hit by lightning. Somebody might be interested in hearing about that. Help us. Honor yourself through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.